everybody, I tell you every week about Steel, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. They have more than 10,000 dealers around the country, and uh, you can find the link at uh, Steel USA to all of their products. It's ridiculous how many products they have, and they're battery-powered, they're electric, or they're gas-powered. I prefer the uh, the battery-powered. It's just easy to move around, and they last uh, forever. They have trimmers. They have blowers. They have mowers. Not too early to think about the spring, and maybe you're in the market for a new mower to take care of the lawn, go check out what they have at steeldealers.com. That's S-T-I-H-L. I think you're going to be blown away by not only the volume of products, but just how good they are, how long-lasting they are. And I guarantee you, once you have one, you're going to have multiple steel products in your garage or your shed or wherever you keep your equipment. That's uh, steeldealers.com, S-T-I-H-L or steelusa.com, S-T-I-H-L again. Love my Boyer's Coffee. They've been brewing coffee in the Rocky Mountain region since 1965. They're the original legendary Rocky Mountain Roaster. And because they roast right here at altitude, it makes the coffee super smooth. And most importantly, it is local. So you'll feel good about that. You know, it, it's delivered fresh to your local grocery store each week. You can have it delivered right to your home. Uh, like I do. Go to boyerscoffee.com and a couple of clicks later and you'll have coffee on the way. Aspen Gold is uh, my preference. That's the one I drink the most of, but they have a lot of great flavors uh, and you can, again, have them delivered right to your house. If you're up on the north side, remember they have the, the food truck and all kinds of promotions always going on at 73rd and Washington. So make it a great new year with some Boyer's Coffee. Again, that's boyerscoffee.com, boyerscoffee.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, voice of the Broncos and legendary high school football coach Dave Logan. The Broncos losing in Las Vegas. I mean, they lost the battle up front, which was really disappointing. But I thought the Raiders played with much more energy defensively than the Broncos did up front on offense. Plus, Drew's take on Drew Locke that you might not agree with. And an unusual question in New England. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts. And leave a comment. And tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey, welcome in. It is show number 129. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. Hope you enjoyed uh, family time, time with friends, and uh, if you were hoping for something special under the Christmas tree, I hope that uh, arrived for you as well. I had a great time. My boys were back in town. Uh, I have one who still lives here and uh, two others in college. So everybody was back in town. We got to hoop. We got to live together. Got to play some games together. Uh, it's awesome. It's always good to, uh, to have uh, family around. I think you'd all concur with that. A uh, quick reminder that uh, you can catch uh, me once a week and uh, Patrick Lyons five times a week on the DNBR Rockies podcast. And uh, he has great guests and he has uh, a wealth of information and he explores a lot of different topics. They do that with every team in town at DNVR. So uh, I implore you to go and check out uh, their numerous podcasts and also uh, stuff on their website uh, from a print standpoint. Hey, did you catch Bill Belichick after 
their loss at home to Buffalo. Boy, Josh Allen. Uh, I'm a fan of Josh Allen. Watched him play. Did a number of his games when he was at Wyoming. Boy, he was unbelievable as the Buffalo went into New England and beat the Patriots. Patriots don't lose often. They don't lose at home. In Foxborough frequently, we all know that. And there was a young lady who asked Bill Belichick a rather interesting question in the press conference immediately following the Patriots' home loss to the Bills. If you didn't catch it, here it is. Hi. um, Football aside, sorry, but I'm doing a story about New Year's resolutions, and I was just wondering if you had any you wanted to share with your fans and our readers? Yeah. No, not right now. Okay. Thanks. Maybe next week. Well, I give her... It's interesting. I, I give her a lot of credit because initially my thought is, what on earth? Why would you ask that question there? Because you're going to get blown up most likely. I actually give credit to Bill Belichick um, for not blowing her up um, and understanding she has a story that she's working on. And probably, and here's why I give her some some credit, ordinarily, in the past, prior to COVID, I would have said, are you absolutely out of your mind? You don't ask a coach that, you know, 10 minutes after his team just got their ass kicked on the field. He could care less about New Year's resolutions, Christmas gifts, or anything other than what transpired in the previous three hours. So it would be remarkably short-sighted. I could think of many other ways to... uh, phrase that, to ask that question under ordinary circumstances. But here's the deal. With COVID, you have no access. You're limited from a reporter standpoint to whatever players, usually a couple that they strut out there to the podium and to the head coach. And it's not like you can saddle up to them, you know, midweek. I know they have a press conference, uh, you know, earlier in the week in preparation for the next Sunday's game. And perhaps you could get it in there, and, and it certainly would have been more appropriate, I guess, in that uh, setting. But because reporters, members of the media have very little access right now, if you're working on a story, and I guess she was working on some story with athletes and New Year's resolutions, when else are you going to get a chance to ask them? But that's ordinarily not the place for it. But again, I give I give Belichick credit because you could think of numerous coaches who would have gone off and and probably embarrassed her um, at that point in time. Uh, so I, I thought it was interesting. It's like, wow, he uh, Belichick, who, you know, is always monotone, win or lose in press conferences and gives you no personality, said not this week. So I thought I, I got a kick out of that. Anyhow, uh, moving on. Uh, the Broncos lose. Uh, Drew Locke and the offense, I think, had about 40 snaps in the game last week. And I know I'm in the minority in, about, in what I'm about to say. I, I may be the only guy saying this. The jury should still be out on Drew Locke. When he's played, has he turned the ball over last week aside because he didn't turn the ball over um, at a higher rate than you'd like? Yes. Is it somewhat consistent with a young quarterback? Yes. Yes. You, you think Jacksonville's going to blow, uh, you know, move on from Trevor Lawrence? I don't think so. You think the Jets are going to move on this quickly from, from Zach Wilson? I doubt it. My point is, is that in the NFL, 
we are always in a hurry to dismiss, particularly quarterbacks, very quickly with a very small body of work, small sample size, and we make these sweeping decisions. I'm not here to suggest that Drew Locke is going to be a all-pro quarterback one day, but he does enough, and I said this back when they were competing in the summer for the starting job, he and Teddy Bridgewater, that he intrigues me. He's a good athlete. He's got moxie. Moxie has led to some of his carelessness with the ball. He took care of the ball the other day. He actually had the third highest passer rating, I don't know if you know this, in the NFL. Now, I know there were no touchdowns. There were also no turnovers, as I mentioned. He had several key drops that would have kept drives alive or, in the case, uh, late in the football game, give the, the Broncos a chance to get into the red zone, and then who knows. These last couple of weeks... I don't get it. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, I have nothing but respect for. He's had two concussions already. What's the point, first of all, from a health standpoint, of playing him in these final two games? And secondarily, you know they're going to move on from Bridgewater. In all likelihood, they're going to move on from Drew Locke. But I'm intrigued enough still to find out what Drew Locke can do the final couple of weeks. Because Teddy Bridgewater will definitely be gone. But for the Broncos, short of landing, which I know every Bronco fan is hoping for, either Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers, which would be wonderful, but that would be an enormous get. And I don't know how likely either scenario is, which means you're still going to be wondering who's going to play quarterback for the Broncos next year and provide the offense some life because we know the defense is solid and we know they have a couple of good backs and we know at least on paper they have some quality receivers well the draft is not going to provide the broncos with at least on paper an instant star at the quarterback spot it's a little bit thin from the quarterback uh, prospect spot at least um high-end prospect status. Normally, you know, you have three or four going in the top 10 and the number one pick is a quarterback in the draft. Not going to be the case this year. Not even close. So why not, instead of saying Drew Locke after 15 starts in the NFL can't play, why not pump the brakes a little bit? Players, like people, because they are people, are allowed to get better. So as I said, I know I'm probably in the minority in that I'm taking that position, but I really believe, especially with two weeks left in in Teddy Bridgewater's status as a lame duck quarterback here and and one that has already gone through uh, the concussion protocol twice, I would play Drew Locke. We lost a great one, as you know, this past week. And superlatives are thrown around in a frivolous manner, I think, at times, especially when someone passes. But John Madden was truly one of a kind. John Madden, in this day and age, where we can't get, you know, five people to agree if it's sunny out on a beautiful Colorado day, he was universally liked, universally respected, and it's so unusual. Uh, especially when it comes to people that 
either provide commentary on television or, you know, other members of the media on the print side. Uh, very few people are, are universally liked and respected. But John Madden was that. And I'm not even going to go into the whole, you know, what he became with the with the video game. And, and um, I, is there a person alive or at least in our country hasn't played Madden? It's pretty amazing. But he was authentic. And, you know, he didn't go to a broadcasting school to learn how to say boom or swoosh. He just, he was himself. And here's something that was really underrated, I think, about how he evolved and became John Madden, the broadcaster. And there there are so many people of this generation that don't even know that he was a fabulous coach many moons ago with the Raiders and has the all-time highest winning percentage of coaches that, uh, you know, coach at least 100 games in the history of the NFL. He won more than 75% of his regular season games, which is otherworldly. But one of the underrated things was his partner initially, Pat Summerall. Because Pat Summerall, the former New York Giant football player who became a terrific play-by-play broadcaster, especially in football, was a minimalist. And he was quite comfortable allowing John Madden to be the star of the booth if there was going to be a star and to let him have, you know, a long leash and as much floor time or air time, if you will, as he needed to provide commentary on what he just saw. Or perhaps it was him telestrating a Gatorade bath. I mean, that was one of like my all-time favorite. He would do that a, a couple, three times a year, right? The the Gatorade bath, and he'd say, all right, see, so, you know, you got this guy distracting that guy, and then these two guys, you got to have some big guys because the Gatorade jug is still pretty heavy, and they have it set up. It was, I mean, it was hysterical. I mean, every week he did a game, even if the game was horseshit, you, you stuck around because he made you laugh. He was truly entertaining, and he didn't set out to be entertaining. He didn't set out to be, you know, comedic. He just was because he was authentic. When young people in the business ask me on occasion for advice, the first thing I always say is be yourself because you have to be yourself. (laughs) You can't. It's not theater, right? Well, John Madden was himself. And we learned, starting in 1979, that he was not only brilliant in terms of breaking down X's and O's, I mean, that was his area of expertise, but he was authentic and hysterical, even when he wasn't trying to be. He really, I know he's he's been gone from the public view for a while, but uh, that individual John Madden was an all-timer an absolute all-timer well speaking of all-timers in our little corner of the world I don't think the state of Colorado has produced a better athlete than Dave Logan and one of the great things about Dave is that, yeah, he was a great football player, as we know. He was a tremendous basketball player. Many people don't realize he was a heck of a baseball player in high school as well, drafted by the Reds. He's one of just two guys that I know that were drafted in all three major sports. He and Dave Winfield, pretty damn good athlete there, the 
Hall of Fame baseball player. Uh, but Dave, everything he's done, he's done well. Whether it's broadcasting, whether it's uh, you know playing the drums. Most people don't know he, uh, he was a pretty good drummer uh, back in the day. He uh, as a talk show host, and I've known Dave thirty three years, something like that. We used to host a, a show together called the Big Eight Gridiron Report. It tells you how long ago that show was, and it's, it's now the Big Twelve. We hosted the Big 8 Gridiron Report together for a number of years, and that would culminate with a special down in the Orange Bowl. We had a lot of fun together doing that. Uh, for a while, he was my partner on Nuggets telecasts uh, back in the day as well. So we've had a, a friendship for, for a number of years, and I thought we'd have a sit-down. This is the first of a two-parter to talk about many topics that um, – I think people don't necessarily delve into uh, with Dave through the years. So I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. It's brought to you, as always, by Ideal Home Loans. Dave Logan, and uh, I don't think I have to tell you any more about his resume. What's the greatest joy that you get out of uh, coaching now at the high school level for all these years? I, I think I think a couple of things pop to mind. I, I really enjoy the relationships you have with players and your ability to continue that relationship even when you don't get a chance to coach them anymore, when they either go on to college and play or they just go to college and, and don't play. But um, I've been fortunate over – I've coached 29 years now to be able to have those relationships with a lot of my former players. And I still hear from – uh, a lot of guys, uh, guys that I coached at Arvada West starting back in 1993. Well, those, those guys are in their mid forties and most of them are married and have kids. And it's just really gratifying, um, for me that they still stay in touch and we, we, you know, we'll check, check on, uh, each other and, uh, that sort of thing. And then, then I do think it's gratifying from a pure coaching standpoint to see players get better um, at football. The players are, you know, gifted in different ways. Um, and some players are going to go on to play college, and some players aren't. Uh, but can you, can, you help, can you help the guy that maybe is your fourth or fifth wide receiver and doesn't play very much, can you help him improve, uh, from, strictly from a football standpoint, of, of things he does? Did he become a better ball catcher during the season? Was he better at getting off uh, some sort of press coverage? Uh, did he understand reading defenses? Was he a little bit better later in the season than he was, you know, at the first part of the season? That and, and also just seeing young kids grow up and understand uh, some of the life lessons that you're, you're, you're doing your best to try to impart to them during the course of uh, you coaching them. Hey Dave, you would never share this with with your kids, obviously. But was there one of the the state titles that you felt, holy shit, we we actually won this, and I didn't think we were good enough, or I felt like maybe going into the state title game, that team across from us has better personnel. I really don't like the matchup. I don't think we've ever. Uh, I. I, I We've, we've played in, uh, how many? 14, I think. I, I don't think one of them I ever entered into that game thinking, you know what, well, we just, we don't have a chance to win. 
Now there there were you know there are a handful probably plus of games that I thought hey we're going to have to play really well uh, and maybe get a couple of breaks to play uh, to to have a chance to win this game. I you know the first one will always be special. In '97, we we had gone to '96 and lost to Cherry Creek and went back in '97 and won it. We were ranked number one in the preseason and then after five games we were three and two and. Um, I kept a letter from one of the parents of one of my players that after we had lost uh, the second game to make us three and two, uh, wrote, uh, basically that I didn't know what I was doing and the team we had just lost to Bear Creek played 21 seniors out of 22 spots and you're playing four sophomores and, you know, a lot of, a lot of that, that, that whole thing. And you'd be wise to look and see how uh, a really good coach does it uh, so anyway I kept the letter and then uh, ironically that year the two games we lost in the regular season we lost at Mullen and we lost to Bear Creek well we played Mullen in the first round of the playoffs we turned the ball over seven times in the regular season and uh, didn't turn it over at all and beat them I think 37 to 15 and then we wound up playing Bear Creek in the state championship game and found a way to win that game. So that the first one will always be special to me. But in terms of looking at games and saying, hey, man, we're going to have to play really well. I, the, the last one, uh, two weeks ago, um, you know, I, I thought we had a puncher's chance for sure. I thought we had to do things really well. Um, but, I mean, Valor was a great team. Uh, six or seven Division One kids and well coached, and we'd beaten the same team the year before when I was had a senior dominated team, and this year we were underclassmen dominated. But one thing that I that I liked during the during the playoffs, Drew, was we we going into that game, we played three games in the playoffs, we hadn't turned the ball over one time, which you know you talk about that, you stress it in practice, but the kids still. They've got to go out and do that. And we didn't turn the ball over uh, against Fowler either. So at least you give yourself a chance to be in the game and, and, you know, you don't hand somebody the game. And if you don't do that, a lot of times uh, the other team will hand you an opportunity to win the game. Yeah, and that's a remarkable run. I don't care who you're playing. You go four weeks in a row at any level. And, uh, you know, I, I say I say this in baseball, you know, when some guys have ridiculously gaudy stats in, in high school, it's, it's hard to – do that in t-ball right you know you can't right, right? right. so yeah, uh to, yeah, to go that's for sure this this is a completely naturally subjective question and we gravitate to position players skill guys when we talk about the the best high school player or players you've ever seen um but for you because you're coaching a bunch of them you're watching tape on your opponents the the one or two or three best high school players in your twenty nine years you've seen, and I'll I'll go first. It's an obvious one. It's not, but I but I believe this. And uh, it, Christian McCaffrey, from a skill standpoint, catching the ball, his ability to spin, you know, pirouette at full speed and make people miss, et cetera. He's the best high school player I've ever seen. Um, for you, who is on that that small list? Well, he'd be up there. Uh, Christian was just uh, an unbelievable talent. I remember scouting a game that Valor played. We weren't scouting Valor. We were scouting Grandview. Because Valor, I think Valor at that point was playing 4A, but it was at their place. One of the first games of the season. And I knew Grandview's always, they have 
a lot of talented kids and deep roster and year in and year out, Grandview factors in uh in a big way. And um they ran a blitz to where they had an unblocked runner right up the gut. Fowler ran a draw and Christian took the ball and as you use the word pirouette, he just pirouetted away from one of their really good players and then made a move and then ran for like 20 yards. And I remember I was sitting with the staff in the stands and I looked at them and I said, fellas, this is going to be a really tough four year period. <laughs> he, was, he was a ninth grader doing that. So, I mean, it was, he was so advanced in his uh, ability to catch the ball and his instincts. He had great vision, uh, was much stronger than you thought he was. He was not a scat back. And that's what he used to say at Stanford. You know, he'll never last in the NFL. And I'm thinking, gosh, you guys need to do some more homework. This kid is 210 to 212 pounds and built low to the ground and just a great, great player. But other guys, I mean, I, you know, I, I've seen, um, in terms of other great players, I've been fortunate enough to coach, you know, some really great players. I mean, Kevin McDougal was, as good a running back as I've ever coached. Went to went to CSU. Uh, wanted to go to CU. I'll get off the CU thing, but CU didn't think he was fast enough to play at CU. And then he went to CSU and had a great, great career. And then played, I think, three years in the NFL. Um, Lindell White was a really talented big back with great hands, and he had a little back's feet, but a big back's body. Went to went to USC, obviously, and played and. Um, yeah, but I but I think if I had to pick one, uh, I would I would have to say Christian McCaffrey. Who's the best li- Who's the best lineman you've had? And I know you do. I, I, that's a hard one, Dave, because I know you don't want to single somebody here as if they don't. Uh, but is there one guy that nobody would be offended if you said this kid was the best high school lineman I've ever had? Oh gosh, um, I've had some I've had some pretty good ones, right? Um, you know, the one that just recently graduated, I mean, George Fitzpatrick, is as good. I mean, this was a kid that his sophomore year was a tight end, and I asked him if he would move to offensive line. He said, whatever, whatever's best for the team. So he's got sort of tight end. He's a little bit like Matt Lepsis in terms of his feet, but he's, yeah. he's 6'6", and he's 285 pounds and really athletic for a young guy that size. So, <clears throat> I mean, he would, he'd have to be in there for sure. I had, I had really good uh, offensive linemen at Mullen, guys who went on to have outstanding Division I uh, football careers. So, had a lot of them. Yeah, it's, it's funny with Fitzpatrick, Dave. I didn't get a chance to, to go down. At, you know, you're busy after any of these games. But I was watching Fitzpatrick, and I was telling somebody – and I didn't realize his backstory. I said he's a he. It's a tight end body that's got he flat stump. I mean, he looks like a tight end. He moves like a tight end, but he's a but he's a left tackle. And I guess that I guess that's how you get recruited by Ohio State. And you know, yeah, yeah. Ryan Day sat in the office uh, about three weeks ago, and and because I, I I thought maybe maybe he'd be a guard. Because your yeah. tackles are so mammoth, but he said no, no. He he likes him at tackle, and he again. I mean, George has a lot to learn, but he will. I mean, he's a he's as selfless as kid as I've ever been around. Team first kid. Uh, it will not surprise me 
no matter what kind of success he has at Ohio State and, and even beyond. I mean, could he play in the NFL? I absolutely think that is a possibility. Yeah, and I, I ran into his dad at one of your games, and um, he, his dad looks the part also. That's a big man also. Yeah. I yep. guess that's how you get to be 6'6 six, six and 280 as a high school kid, right? <laughs> Apparently so. you got to have good genetics. Hey, a uh, greater fun for you doing play-by-play, which I can't even keep track how many years it's been since you know you, you slid over when Zim retired um, from the play-by-play side, uh, or or the talk show where you can espouse your thoughts, opinions on a variety of topics, or, or maybe the podcast now, which you're, which you're doing, which, you know, gives uh you know gives a, another place for a voice yeah i mean i think you, you know they're they're all different they all um they all require a different set of skills i i enjoy i enjoy all of them i mean i think as a former player you know i've talked about this i mean normally speaking former players don't get an opportunity uh to to become play by play guys they are pretty much pigeonholed into being a color analyst and so uh, that was 1996 when I made that move. So I guess it's been 25 years I've been the play-by-play voice of the Broncos. But when they came to me and, and uh, said, this is what we're going to do, uh, initially I thought they were kidding. And then I realized that they were serious. And so, you know, I just remember thinking, man, I've got to do everything I can to get prepared for this because I, I, I this is a big opportunity that former players don't often get, and I, I don't want to screw this thing up, right? I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, um, it's kind of like Jerry Faust as a, as a high school coach get an opportunity at Notre Dame, right? And, you know, God love him, but he screwed that thing up. <laughs> he, he ruined it for everyone, didn't he? He really, I mean, by and large, yes, because you could always go back and say, well, we don't have a big track record, but look at Jerry Faust at Notre Dame, and that was a tough argument to overcome. So I, I, I just remember thinking, okay, I, uh, and I, I grew up in Denver, so I had, the, I had the benefit of listening as a kid to Bob Martin uh, do play-by-play for a long time. And, um, you know, you have to, as you know, you have to sort of, you have to develop your own sort of style and your sense of timing and what you're looking at. I think my, my play by play, um, by and large sort of lapses in between a true play by play and, and then color. I sometimes will, will lapse into doing color as well because that's just how, that's how I see the game, right? That's when I watch the, uh, when I watch the game, normally I don't watch the ball. I watch off the ball. But as you know, doing play by play, you have to watch the ball. So I, I sometimes sort of lapse into that other form as well. Yeah, but, you know, and Dave, I, I can say this, and I think I'd probably speak for many people in, in this region, um, and, and it's not at all a backhanded shot at, at Rick or, or Scott Hastings prior, uh, but, you know, you played a long time. You have stayed current um, because you've coached at the high school level, and I you would you take concepts that are well beyond high school concepts, professional, collegiate concepts, and install them in Inglewood at Cherry Creek High School. So you're up to speed on all that. And I think people value your thoughts on what just transpired and why, not just here's what happened and now I'm going to hand it off. I thought, well, you should take yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I certainly do steal um, – 
know, I, I mean, I just love the game of football, right? So when there's one of these bowls on the, you know, the quick lane cheddar bowl or whatever, whatever it is, I, hey, I'll watch and run it back and, and try to pick up just various things. And, uh, you know, then you get the iPad out and you get the all 22 and you, you want to see, I want to see what other teams are doing, whether they be college teams or, or NFL teams. And, and I, I do think that's sort of how I call a game. Um, you know, I, I think, um, I'd like to think that after playing for such a long time and this is my 32nd year broadcasting Bronco games, I mean, you look at a, you look at a play and, um, after you go back and look at it, you, you have a pretty good idea why that play did or did not work, right? I mean, even uh, as we do this today, the Broncos losing yesterday in Las Vegas. And I went back and looked at the All-22 this morning. Um, I mean, they lost the battle up front, which was really disappointing. They did not play well up front. Now, I, I, I don't know that they, uh, they were put in a lot of situations that, that helped them. But I thought the Raiders played with much more energy defensively than the Broncos did up front on offense. More with Dave Logan in a couple of moments. But first is for Ideal Home Loans. They can save you money. They've saved me money on a couple of occasions. They've saved friends of mine money on multiple occasions as well. Give them a call at 303 867 7,000. Ideal home loans, you're saying, well, why can they save me more money than, than the next guy, perhaps? Well, they're a direct mortgage lender, which means they can provide their clients with lower fees, lower rates, and faster closings, all with a level of customer service not found at most other mortgage companies. So call Ideal Home Loans today. Again, it's 303-867-7000. My man, Brent Ivinson, he's been uh, saving folks money in this part of the world for more than 20 years he does a great job. He's got a great staff. I know you'll be pleased. And, uh, you know, if you're comfortable right now, it never hurts to get a second opinion. So give them a shout at 303-867-7000 and see if they can uh, perhaps save you money as well. Divorce is not fun. Difficult time, emotional time, uncertain time. Been there. You need guidance. You need counsel. You need accurate information and great professionalism and understanding. And you'll find it without question at one of the top family law firms in the region in Cox, Baker and Page. That's Cox, Baker and Page. They've been recognized in a number of publications for their excellent work in the area of family law. They're compassionate and thorough in guiding you through a tumultuous period. Their work has been routinely recognized for its excellence. U.S. News and World Report, for instance, consistently award Laura Page and Mary Cox best lawyer distinctions. If you or someone you know is looking for counsel, reach them at coxbakerandpage.com. That's coxbakerandpage.com. Mention you heard it from me and receive a discount on your initial consultation. Now back to more with Drew and Dave Logan. You know how much I value your opinion. I, I kind of went out, I don't say a, a limb at all, but I, I was taking notes about this week's show and, and one of the one of my rants is that, uh, or I, I don't rant, you know me, but I, I really feel like in the NFL, they bail way the hell too quickly on quarterbacks. And I'm still intrigued. I may be the only one, Dave. 
Um, but I'm still intrigued by Drew Locke. Has he turned it over too much? Yes. Is he careless? Yes. I, I thought he actually, they didn't have the football yesterday. I actually thought he had some drops, some notable drops. I didn't think he played poorly yesterday. He throws the ball well. He has, you know, and it's not a knock on Teddy Bridgewater. He's a far better athlete in terms of escapability than Teddy. Are we just jumping ship on QBs too quickly, whether it be here in our town or around the league? The NFL is not a very patient league anymore. Used to be, but uh, not anymore when it comes to quarterbacks and coaches. Uh, for the most part, I think that I, I don't think Drew played poorly yesterday either. Thought he made some good throws, uh, as you said, a couple of key drops. And the Broncos have had their their more than their fair share of problems holding on to the football, just dropping the ball. Um, there there were some opportunities to get the ball as I went back and looked at it this morning. Opportunities to get the ball downfield that I think I think he missed. But you know what? He hasn't played. He hasn't played this year, so. I, 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 I'm undecided. I, I think honestly, um, Drew is going to be better off probably getting a fresh start somewhere. I, I would say that would be better for him. Now, you could say that all he has to do is wait for a while and it's going to be a fresh start here in Denver. Hmm. Right? Because I think, um, you know, NFL coaches, as you know, are, uh, they're paid to win. And when you don't, win as much as uh, you should or the people that hired you think you should, um, you know, changes are made. I think that um, they have not been very creative on offense. <clears throat> I think the, I think they have better talent, <clears throat> excuse me, offensively than, than the production that they've, they've put out. So uh, I think it's going to be an interesting two or three week period. And I, I, I do think this too, and I, this is no great revelation, but I think the Broncos are, very much in the quarterback market as soon as the season ends, whether that means uh, in in the draft or acquiring one of these free agent quarterbacks. But I feel pretty confident that next year, uh, I don't know who will be coaching the team, but I think you'll have uh, you'll have a new quarterback and maybe two new quarterbacks. I've always stuck to this, whether we're talking about NFL quarterbacks or high school athletes and that I've coached, you have a right to get better. I think you have a right to get better in whatever your position is in life. Um, and, you know, as long as you're putting in the requisite work to get better and have passion to get better, you have a right to get better. And I, again, uh, to reiterate, I think we jump ship. Uh, it's the most important position in team sports quarterback. And we, uh, there, there's a long litany of, of names of, of guys that, we're all celebrated in the draft, and they're like yesterday's news. And some of those guys, you would think, given the opportunity to fail, like a Peyton Manning was provided, uh, you know, could be productive. Um, but uh, I agree with you. I think the Broncos will have you know a whole new quarterback room next year. Yeah, it's um, you know it's a hard position to play, and especially at that level, there are so many things that go on uh, from a defensive standpoint. That I think honestly, uh, the league asks almost too much of most of their quarterbacks uh, in terms of how they read things and how they. Uh, there's so many adjustments to make, and uh, I, I think the league has been very slow to pick up on some of the concepts that colleges have used and even high schools have used that um, 
don't have to be, uh, you know, quite so complex, right? The RPOs, getting rid of the football, uh, just just the basic short stuff that at times I, I think coaches in general, and, and this has been the case in the NFL for a long time, I just think they, they have so much time, and that's all they do is they coach, and then they sit in the room and look at film, and they try to come up with ideas, and what about this and this and this and this and this? Well, I mean, you you, you know, it, it is the most people would have no idea how complex the NFL has made it for quarterbacks. And there are very few guys, I mean, very few guys that can handle all of that just from a mental standpoint. Forget about it from a physical standpoint. So um, I, I would like to see the league sort of do – I mean, Andy Reid, I have so much respect for him, right? Andy Reid is a West Coast disciple. But if you look at what he's done, and he did it even before he had Mahomes, right, uh, he started to incorporate some of the college principles, the RPOs, the the stuff where you give the quarterback the ability to pull that ball and get rid of that. I mean, I, have, you know, I haven't seen hardly – I haven't seen any of that with the Broncos this year. And so I, I, that, that's where I'd like to see, uh, them go next. I'd like to see them, uh, be able to incorporate some of those ideas. And because I do think they, they have enough talent, uh, in most areas to be better than they've been offensively. Yeah. To what, to your point that to me, it's no brainer. And, and it took the league so long and, and still there are teams that are reluctant. You, you know, it used to be, you can't win a Super Bowl unless it's from the pocket. And yet all these yeah. college teams, which is effectively double A AA and triple A, right? If we were making a baseball analogy, they're running completely, by and large, completely different offenses. And so you fall in love with a quarterback and say, but now we're going to make him do it our way as opposed to, hey, why don't we take that skill set and what that kid's been doing probably since, you know, seven on sevens when he was in seventh grade and and work around his skill set? Yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's what I think uh, would would benefit a lot of teams. Instead of the, the NFL for years and years, even back before, I mean, way before I played, certainly during when I played, they had prototypes for every single position, right? I mean, they wanted they wanted the quarterbacks to be six four and two hundred and thirty pounds, and from when from the pocket, they wanted receivers uh, depending on what era to be certain size and certain speed. Same with offensive linemen. I mean, they listen. They they had a hard time figuring out what to do with me. Uh, even back in the mid '70s, because I was uh, I, I didn't look like most receivers, so initially they thought, well, he's got to play tight end. Well, no, I, I I don't. I mean, I've got enough skill that I can play outside, and and thanks to Sam Reticliano, um, he realized that, and I was able to have a good career. But uh, the, the NFL, by and large, is reticent to to make those sorts of decisions that takes them out of their comfort zone of what they've been for years and years and years and years. And the teams, I mean, you look at, I'm not a huge Jim Harbaugh fan, but you look at what he did when he was the head coach of the Niners um, with Colin Kaepernick and, and that particular offense. I mean, that was unlike any offense, really, at least some of the principles, unlike what the league was used to. And they got very proficient at it. 
and they built that offense around what Kaepernick could do really well, and it got them all the way to the Super Bowl. Dave, uh, a couple things real quick to let you fly. I really appreciate the time, man. It's good catching up uh, overall. We usually do it in a Starbucks, and now we're doing it on, on tape. But um, <laughs> when you look at the, the other thing about the NFL is driving me nuts, and I think back to when you played, and I, I'm not going to get you into the whole, hey, when we played, it was, but I know watching it when you played, and it was a damn fist fight, and if you went across the middle, you got the shit knocked out of you it, it, no matter what. Um, and it was the same thing actually in basketball. Remember how you guys used to have blocking dummies, oh, yeah. basically, you know, you it, you were supposed to get chucked. Somebody cut through the lane, you were supposed to get hit or deliver yeah. a blow. Anyhow, the yeah. leaks change, I get that. The proliferation of flags has taken the joy away from the game. And it's one thing, Dave, if, you, if Mel Blunt tackled you before the ball got there, that's pass interference. But if it's hand fighting, let it go. If it's not an egregious hold on the offensive line, for me, let it go. What's your thoughts on, on the number of flags we've seen? And we, we know these referees um, better than we know most of the players visually. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's the toughest game to officiate. I really do because there's so many moving parts, um, and everybody, all the officials have a certain area that they're supposed to uh, supposed to be watching. I do think uh, some of the rules change changes have been very good. I think it's um, I think some of the nonsense that used to go on uh, with respect to receivers and how they were treated downfield, uh, you know, it's amazing. Some of us receivers can still walk based on what they used to be allowed to do, talking about defensive backs. So I'm, I'm all in favor of that. But I, I hear your point. I think, I think the game, uh, you know, the game at times from an officiating standpoint, th- those guys are doing the and, and women are doing the best they can because they have been charged. There are rules of engagement that officials have to make it graded in the NFL, right? So I, but I do think there's a lack of common sense at times with some of the calls and how some of the calls are enforced, right? The, um, you know, the, the pass interference call or the holding call on defensive backs, or you can't put your hands on receivers after the five-yard rule. I mean, some of those, when you go back and look at some of what's being called, you're like, it, it just makes no sense. And then you see other plays. I mean, this weekend, watching the Browns play the Packers, you know, the last the last play of the game, there's a holding call on a receiver, and the DB slingshots his way past the receiver and intercepts intercepts the ball. There's no call. So it's it's a really tough game to officiate because of the size and speed that the game of, of the players and how fast that game is played. So I, I don't have an answer in terms of how we could make it better, but I do share your frustration in terms of. Uh, it slows the game down, and it uh, it takes any of the pace of the natural flow and pace of the game. It takes that away. Again, we'll have more with uh, with Dave next week. The second part of that interview. That's what happens when you when you sit down and start you know shooting the bull with uh, with somebody you know and have known for a long time and have great respect for. And uh, there's a lot of stories that that you know could come out and. Uh, some did, some didn't, uh, but uh, we went for well over an hour. So part two of my interview with uh, Loves will be uh, next week, and uh, I hope you'll be able to join us for that one as well. Listen, uh, as we tape this, uh, we're a couple of days 
prior to New Year's Eve, I wish all of you a happy and a prosperous 2022. Have a great time on, on New Year's Eve, uh, whatever you may be doing. Uh, and uh, maybe we'll get into uh, some New Year's resolutions next week. Not big on them, but uh, that'll be next week. Listen, for uh, for my man Marky, who puts this show together, and again, uh, for everyone that uh, takes time to listen each week, we appreciate uh, you. We'll do it again next week with part two with Dave Logan. Take care, and once again, Happy New Year, everyone. 